it's really kind of, it's still unbelievable, you know, just sitting in the courtroom and then telling me that. I mean, I understand someone lost their life, and I totally, I, I, I totally understand that, and um, my remorse is there. You know, I think about it daily. Um, the day of the crime, when it happens, it's, I, I, it's, it's just, it's crazy to give someone that much time that was just there when something happened to give them life without parole, to never be able to leave this place when you never picked up a gun, never even touched a gun in your whole entire life, never took anything, never played a huge part in this crime, and then you leave with life without parole. I, I still can't swallow that pill that I'm sitting in prison with that sentence. A Living Chance is a podcast created by the members of the California Coalition for Women Prisoners that shares the stories of people serving life without parole in the state's women's prisons and educates the public about life without parole sentencing, or the other death penalty, as it is called by people in prison. This podcast features the stories of people currently serving life without parole, formerly incarcerated people, and advocates and organizers in the fight against life without parole. Welcome to episode four. Today we're going to talk about the felony murder rule and what it means for life without parole sentences. We recorded this episode a few weeks ago, and since then the legislation that we talk about has passed, and Governor Brown has signed it into law. This is a huge victory for our movement, and yet it doesn't change the sentences for people serving life without parole who were, who were charged under the felony murder rule. So we want to keep that in mind as we listen to the recording. I am so excited to have with us today Joanne Shear from Felony Murder Elimination Project. Do you want to introduce yourself, Joanne? Hi, I'm Joanne Shear, uh, like Adrian said, with Felony Murder Elimination Project. And I'm the mother of a young man who's incarcerated doing life without parole under the felony murder rule. Yeah. Do you want to tell us anything about your son? Oh, he's lovely. <laughs> he's, uh, he's my only child. We are, he's one of the sweetest kids you'd ever meet. He's never been in trouble. He's, uh, he was just a, a sweet young man growing up who made a very unwise decision uh, at a moment in time that has taken away his life. Yeah. And um, how old was he when he went in? Um, he was, uh, 20 years old mm. and he is now 31. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So for 11 years you've yes. been, and more, probably trial and time in county jail, I would imagine. Yeah, that all includes, yeah, oh, okay. that includes, yeah. uh, county and trial and, yeah. and all those wonderful things. So 11 years you've been navigating being the parent of someone with LWAP. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long, long 11 years. Yeah. It's why I started this organization, because when this happened to Tony, I I was stunned that you can be given a murder charge. Right. And a life without a, a death, really it's a death sentence for not having killed 
anyone. Right. So I, I had never heard of the felony murder rule, and, yeah. and I thought uh, we need to change it. Yeah. I want to hear about the organization and your work around it, but first, I think we need to define felony murder rule. And part of the reason I wanted you to come speak about it is because throughout the last couple episodes, we've been hearing from people inside the women's prisons who are sharing parts of their stories and saying things like, I never knew I could get life without parole when I didn't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us, like, shorthand, what is the felony murder rule? The the felony murder rule came over, was originated in England Mm -hmm. um, in the 1700s. It was brought over to the United States in the 1800s. And what it is, it is uh, you can be charged with first-degree murder if there is any death, even an accidental death, Mm -hmm. that occurs during the commission or the attempted commission of certain felonies, um, mm-hmm. those burglary and arson and, and robbery, and there's a whole list. Mm-hmm. All participants in the felony can and probably will be held equally liable for that death. Mm-hmm. Even, if you, even if you didn't have possession of a weapon right. or know that somebody had a weapon, you can still be charged and convicted of first-degree murder right. under the felony murder rule. So it was brought over in the 1800s. We, uh, California has taken that law, and it's under Penal Code 189, but we've added to it under Penal Code 190.2, which is special circumstances. And what, mm-hmm. what that is is that allows for the death penalty or life without the possibility of parole and there's, uh, over the years, that, that list has been added to, and there are over 21 felonies on that list. Right. So we want to play clips from two CCWP members whose stories really illustrate how people can be sentenced to life without parole under the felony murder rule as accomplices. So both Buali and Toya, who you're about to hear from, were in the car when a murder took place and unaware that it was going to occur. I had a job, a wonderful family, a, do- a new baby. Many times, many people told me how little they liked my choice in boyfriends. I met him when I was 13. He, al- he was also 13. As we grew up together, my love grew stronger and bl- blinder. He joined a gang. I just felt it was inevitable, inevitable, considering how the neighborhood was developing. My family owned a Thai restaurant. I worked there mo- along with the rest of the family. He also hung out too much. One day after work, he wanted to stop off at his friend's. My father had just bought me a brand new Honda Pilot and no one was going to drive it. He wanted to drop me off and take the car. We had both just worked all day at the restaurant. I was so tired, I could barely feel my feet, but I was not going to let him take my car. I drove him to his friend's. He said just a couple beers and we would go. He had a bad marijuana problem. I sort of felt he wanted to get highs. I stayed in the car going in a couple times to tell him it's time to go. He just kept telling me he was coming. Finally, he comes out with two of his friends. He says we are going to get weed. We park and they, his friends leave the car and wait. And we wait. Maybe in five minutes, I feel gunshot. I look at my boyfriend and we started to argue. His friends run back and my boyfriend, now in a driver's seat, drives away. People died. I sit here my whole life going, 
gone because of actions of others. And of course, I went from a hard worker to a baby, with a baby, and good family to a complete mastermind. This is wrong. I'm not this kind of person. This is too great a penalty for my part of this ugliness. Yeah, I was in the car. I did drive over there. Did I know that someone was going to get killed? No, I don't. No, I didn't know that. Did I know someone was going to get robbed? Mm -hmm. Being with my brothers, maybe that probably was going to happen. Who knows? Because they're affiliated. They they do stuff like that. But were they going to go and do this to this guy, someone that I know? No, I didn't think that because my brothers, they res they have a re they respect me, they love me, so I didn't think that they would go and do this to this person that I did. I've been dealing with for forever, but it happened. I didn't see it coming at all. Did I take anything out of the house? No. Did I shoot anybody? No. Did I kill someone? No. I didn't know somebody was going to get killed. The problem with felony murder is that it is such an easy. It, it's the easiest murder conviction to win mm -hmm. because you don't have to prove intent for anything but the underlying felony. That's right. And if you say for first-degree murder that's not felony murder, the prosecutor has to find intent to commit that murder. Mm -hmm. And all, he, all in felony murder, all he has to do is prove the underlying intent, the intent to commit the underlying felony. felony. Right. So it's a very, very easy murder conviction to win. That's right. I want to make the point that one of the ways that the felony murder rule impacts people in women's prisons, and many of whom are incarcerated survivors of abuse, and as we learned in episode two, incarcerated um, because of the violence of their abusive partners. So the way that the felony murder rule impacts them is, you know, it's probably pretty obvious given the example mm -hmm. that you gave, Joanne, but, you know, a lot of people are their own lives are threatened, they're coerced into certain behaviors or, you know, accompanying out of control their abusive partner to, right. you know, certain, right. commit certain kinds of violence like robberies. Some folks will be like the lookout person at a robbery, right? Yeah. When their abuser and partner is committing the robbery, somebody dies inside the store or wherever it is, and that person, that survivor is is sentenced alongside yes. them. People who are in cars, like so many folks who are just driving their abusive partners somewhere to like make a drug sale, to yeah. see a friend, to do whatever, end up getting, I keep wanting to say like captured, <laughs> I think because I just came from a prison yeah. visit and it, it is a system born of slavery, yes. right? So yes. they get just like captured into the system by the felony murder rule. All of these people, all of these women who are under duress, are unable to protect themselves against abuse, and then this law allows them to go down simply by proving that they were a part of and a participant in the felony. Yes. And there was a case, her name was Connie Keel, yes. uh, years ago, and her husband made her get in the car, and they were going to rob somewhere, and he threatened her, you know, her son or mm -hmm. her child mm -hmm. and said, if you, if you don't go along, you know, I I'm going to kill him. Yeah. You, you have no choice. But the problem is, is you think to yourself, so many people look at me when I talk about felony murder and they think kind of I'm hiding something or mm. I'm not telling them the whole truth. Mm. The, the problem that we have is that prosecutors' careers 
are built yes. on how many wins you get, yes. okay? Not all prosecutors are bad, and I'm not saying we need prosecutors, obviously. The, the problem is, is that when a career is based on how many wins you get, mm-hmm. you're not looking at some of the real facts. Mm-hmm. And abusive partners, are you have no control over them. Yeah. It's a wide net That's that right. felony murder casts. Right. And, and it's immoral and it's not right. Right. Um, yeah. There are victims. There, there are victims to these crimes. Absolutely. There is... My heart goes out to every parent, every family member mm-hmm. of every victim. But I know that they would not want their loved one. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't want this for for their legacy. Mm-hmm. I just don't yeah. think that they would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and big, sending big love to Connie Keel, yeah. who's a CCWP member. Oh. Um, and is out, is free. Awesome. Has been living in freedom for many years. Awesome. It just makes me think about the way that we define justice and the way that the criminal legal system defines justice is this blanket, right? Yes. It's like a one-size-fits-all. Yes. And it's determined by people in power like prosecutors and judges mm-hmm. and jury of one so-called peers, which yes. is a whole other conversation. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, and what what felony murder rule is doing is it's creating this like blanket right and it's not saying like actually let's look at what piece of this harm or this violence you are accountable to yes and um then let's i mean you know i'm thinking from a restorative justice framework because that's the work that i do in the world if we then look at what your specific responsibility is to the harm then what are the consequences that meet your level of participation in the right. in the harm like how are the consequences what we would call in, in restorative justice right-sized yes to the harm that you caused and the system in general and felony murder cast this blanket right yeah. this like one size fits all we're going to punish you alongside um, someone who may be more responsible for certain pieces of the harm with the same punishment. Yes. And I think it's fair to say that within CCWP, we don't believe that any of these systems of punishment are the answer. Right. Nor do they actually solve the problems that cause this kind of harm in the first place. So just to put that out there, I think that's probably obvious, but it feels important to mention too. Felony murder in the state of California says basically if someone dies in the course of a felony, even if they die from a heart attack, you're responsible. My problem with that whole premise is I can't be responsible for someone else's actions. You know what I'm saying? There's a big difference between me committing a felony and killing somebody or being responsible for someone else killing somebody. I have no control over what somebody else is thinking, but they make me responsible for that. And that's my problem with felony murder. I would say 75 to 80% of the first term violent offenders that are here under that felony murder rule were not the direct perpetrator of their case, regardless of their age. You might have been 21, you might have been 27, you might have been 30, but it's a high percentage. And it's unfortunate that California has made a business one out of incarcerating, but incarcerating women who are considered violent, but not necessarily are, but due to that felony murder rule, are labeled a violent offender. I wonder if you could talk, like, specifically, you mentioned the two different penal codes. Yes. 
and a lot of folks inside have questions about the penal yes. codes. And could you kind of make the distinction between those two and, and in what ways felony murder rule specifically impacts people with life without parole? Okay, so felony murder uh, was originally put, uh, it's Penal Code 189, and really what it is is it's, if, if you want to give it a name, it's it's a simpliciter felony murder. It literally uh, has about five felonies that it covers. 190.2 are the special circumstances. So those special circumstances were added onto by voter initiative, by by ballot initiative. I'm going to get off on a tangent. Um, But one of the things about voter initiatives is that they don't understand, if they don't understand what felony murder is, they're voting to add to a penal code. Whenever you vote to add something to a penal code, what you're voting on has to be undone by voter initiative. So once you get something voted into law, it's very hard to come back because nobody wants, it's not warm and fuzzy Mm -hmm. to come back and say, oh, you know, we kind of got it wrong. We've got so many people serving life without parole under the felony murder rule that uh, we really didn't realize what we were voting for. Right. Um, So to get that voted now to to remedy it. Yeah. Is, is a very hard thing. So yeah. now we're finding we have to we have to let people know really what felony murder is. So the 190.2 added to that yeah. list. Yeah. And I, I couldn't even name you off the top of my head 20, 21 felonies. I mean, right. I, you know, so it, it it's a very, very wide net. Yeah. The problem with with 190.2, there is mandatory sentence. Mm-hmm. There are only two. One of them is the death penalty. Mm-hmm. The other one is life without the possibility of parole. The other death penalty. The other death penalty. <laughs> and to be very, very clear, it is the death penalty. Yeah. You will die in prison yeah. if we don't do something about it. Yeah. And I don't know if now is the time, but I would love to share a statistic with you. Now's the time. Because there is no, you can't get data on felony murder. That's right. It's like a secret. Yeah. And uh, no matter what, you can't get data on it. They don't keep it. Mm. So I have been working with the Division of Research trying to get numbers f- through the back door. Mm-hmm. So what I have found is that for life without parole, I've, I found, I did a computer, I asked them to do a um to do a computer program, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know how many people serving life without parole were first-time offenders. Mm -hmm. So out of 5,086 people who are serving life without parole at that time that I asked, which was at the end of last year, 177 women were first-time offenders, and which sounds like a small portion of that 5,000, except that most women who yeah. are serving life without parole are in under felony murder. Right. Um, and we've only got two women's prisons, I say yeah. only, but they're, you know. Yeah. Um, but of the men, 3,541 men wow. are serving. Now, that's that's over 3,700 out of 5,000 yes. who were first-time offenders, never been in trouble with the law. Right. That's 
stunning that they're going to die in prison. They're going to get old, and we're going to take care of them as taxpayers. And we're going to pay for, if anybody's looking at this from a a money standpoint, which is the last way I look at it, just simply because it's so immoral. But all of these people, they've never been in in trouble. It's just astounding to me. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about as far as the women, mm-hmm. it, it, well, as far as the men and the women, okay, mm-hmm. there a lot of times the prosecutor, and I, I know that a lot for a lot of women, their abusers mm-hmm. will say, hey, if you take this, they'll be less hard right. on you than they will on me. And so what we end up doing is letting the person who's actually the perpetrator of the killing, they're getting out. Mm-hmm. And the ones who didn't, Mm-hmm. are are going to die in prison. Mm-hmm. So that happens, I know, a lot mm-hmm. in, in abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to add that. And one more thing that most felony murder is, is done, we're under the age of 25. Wow. At the time of the crime. I didn't know that. So when you start to break down and yes. look at it, it needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Like, just hearing that, I feel... Stunned. Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling, oftentimes I have this feeling of, like, not surprised, but still shocked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. When you know how the system works and you love people inside, it's like, I'm no longer surprised at what what it is capable of doing. Yeah. And yet I still feel shocked, I think, by the way that it, you know, just all the ways. By the way, it spiders out. It, yeah. It's, it's like it's got tentacles. And all the ways that the system denies dignity. Yeah. There's so many different ways to do that. Yeah. My crime, uh, I just say my crime because I'm convicted of it, so I just call it my crime. It took place uh, February 1st. I wasn't present. Um, I never had no intentions to harm or hurt anyone. Um, I wasn't present. Like I said, I was grocery shopping uh, the night of with a sister and a friend of mine. Um, not knowing a crime is taking place, and especially not knowing that it has something to do with me um, on my behalf. At my trial was severed. Like I told you, I was separated from my co-defendant, which one guy was um, arrested. The other one is still free. I have no idea who it is. I was arrested two months later after the crime took place, um, which I voluntarily did everything detectives asked me to do. I cooperated with authorities like they asked me to do. I had nothing to hide. So uh, I was willing to give them my phone records, give them everything that they needed to, to clear my name. Um, I would have never thought that one little part of information would take my life away. In my case, uh, felony murder was used. Uh, I don't know how, but I think that was the only way to convict me. Um, because it shouldn't have went to the felony murder. I, it was used in my case because they said that I knew one of the perpetrators. One of the perpetrators had called me and supposedly we discussed something over the phone that was never proven, never, no text messages, no proof of anything. That was the only thing to link me and this person was a phone call, not a conversation, just a phone call, number to number. And that's how I was brought under the felony murder rule, which they knew would, would incarcerate me. So it, it's just like a loophole for the system to, like I said, mass incarceration, to incarcerate people. 
how, how could you just say that because somebody called me or I knew this person, it's just best. They should just call it guilt by association. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it just, like I said, you don't have to even commit a crime. You could be sitting at home on a couch and somebody could call you and then they, they mad and angry and go off and just do something to their husband or friend or whatever the case is. And now you charge with because you knew that they were going to. That's not fair. It relates to my case because I was one of four people total. My boyfriend was the mastermind. He brought two guys over and then I was the one that opened the door and allowed it to happen. And since I was there and I allowed it to happen and I, and afterwards I tried cleaning it up and I didn't call the police and I just, I made more of a mess of things. So therefore I'm considered a main participant. And so I was the only one tried, arrested and sentenced. We just heard from Sienna and Amy whose stories really drive home what we're talking about here in terms of people who um, weren't even present, people who had no knowledge that a murder was going to take place, people who may have been coerced into withholding information after a murder has taken place due to abusive situations and yet are still sentenced to life without parole. Joanne, I know that you didn't know much about life without parole before Tony got locked up, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your journey. Back in 2010, uh, when this, uh, after the trial and everything, I I know that this is going to sound weird to people, but I, I'm a very, I'm a strong believer, and, um, and I know that everything has purpose. I'm not saying this happened for a reason or right. anything like that, but I had to look for my purpose in it. I mm-hmm. knew there was a purpose, and and uh, I knew that it would open up if I would just start putting feet to it. So I went to my senator at the time when I, I don't know anything about politics hmm. or never paid attention, and, you know, he said that he would help, and back in 2016, or it was the end of 2015, went to the Capitol and started just cold-calling people. So that's really, it happened just simply because I knew that there was a purpose for me in it. Mm -hmm. I was not going to watch this life that I'd given, I'd brought into this world. And and Mm. it was was a miracle we even had him. We weren't supposed to be able to have any. He just showed up. So that can't be my son's legacy. He's not... A murderer. He's not. He does. He's, there's not a malicious bone in his body, yeah. and I just thought, how many other people, yeah, are going to die in prison yeah. because of this? Yeah. So that's really how it started, mm-hmm. and and I heard, no, no, no. It's it. It can never be undone. You don't know how entrenched we are mm. in California, and I thought, you. There is nothing that is impossible. Yeah. And I know that hmm. when people really know what this is, that they know that this can happen to their child just like that, there's no standing down. And you look at the beautiful women and the beautiful men that are are really destined to, to die. We're killing them. That's right. And that makes us murderers. Hmm. And I won't be one. Mm-hmm. And I won't allow, I just yeah. won't do it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you for saying that so candidly. Yeah. I think 
particularly as California voters who have been asked to vote on special circumstance yeah. law and special circumstance within the penal codes, mm-hmm. it is our responsibility, yeah. right? I mean, it is our. It, is. it should be our moral responsibility. But when you take it to the level of like being taxpayers and being voters, we have a huge responsibility to actually undo the things that many of us are implicated within. Yes. Um, in terms of like further interlocking felony murder rule into the penal code and interlocking life without parole. Yes. And I think, to be fair, people don't understand felony murder. Even once you, once you explain it to them, yeah. they, don't under, they don't understand really the ramifications yeah. of it. And, and to be fair to, to California voters, you know, we're, a, we're an incredible state mm-hmm. with incredibly brilliant people. And and there's nothing that they can't understand. But when it's when it's slanted, mm-hmm. if you take the worst case scenario and say you don't understand, if we change this, our streets are going to be teeming with, <laughs> you know, with with murderers or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, yeah, and it's so sensationalized. Yeah, right. Like yes. one of the reasons why we know at CCWP it's been so hard to move around this issue is because politicians don't want to ch- take a chance around public safety right. issues. Yeah. And it's very easy in the media and society to present this image of like the worst of the worst murders, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's also, it feels really important to me to say within CCWP, we don't make distinctions around how culpable or responsible someone is for that particular kind of violence, Mm -hmm. we support everybody. And we know that people cause violence because they themselves have been hurting and have not often gotten the resources that they need and are highly targeted and criminalized by the police. And so we don't ever make that distinction. And we're really clear, like, our love and support is for everybody who has been living and surviving state violence exactly with a real strong belief that like you are not the worst moment of your life mm-hmm. and everyone or your worst history right you know yeah. your worst you know choice in a relationship totally or your worst um, survival you know, strategy survival of, of growing up right. or everybody has a history yeah. and yeah i thank you so much for saying that adrian yeah. because a lot of times you'll say you know, you'll tell your story or you'll tell a story of a loved one or that uh, that this is what it was. Or mm-hmm. you, so you'll you'll face judgment. Mm-hmm. You'll you know, you'll hear somebody say, well, why didn't you get out of that abusive relationship? Right. You, you know, or why didn't you know, why didn't you just say no? Or mm-hmm. why didn't you, you know, there's a judgment leave, or if you're yeah. you know, if you're a mother trying to mm-hmm. tell the story of of their son, there, there's a judgment that you're kind of, well, you're leaving something out, mm. but but you're not leaving something yeah. out. It's just, it's extremely difficult yeah. to tell the story of a tragedy right. and not be judged by right. it. You know, yeah. it's just human. Yeah. And I think part of what we're trying to do too is like, when we tell the truth about a situation, mm. It's it's not just the story of like what happened one night, yes. right? It's also the story of someone's history and the trauma that they experienced and were carrying with them. It's also telling the truth about racism in our country and police brutality and the violence and criminalization of particularly youth of color, which we talked about a little bit 
in episode three. So what we're trying to do is like tell the whole story. Yes. You know, yes. and all of those are the pieces that are left out of things like the felony murder rule and mm-hmm. left out of trials and left out of media sensationalizing who yes. is in our prisons. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to two more places. Yes. One, I want to sort of follow that thread, and I wonder if you can share anything about what it's been like to witness your son do LWAP over time. Oh, okay. If you I can, I can do that. If you want to. And also, not just witnessing him, but like you, your own, My own. experience with it, because you're doing time with him. Yes, you're doing every single second with them. Yeah, Yeah. and I want to also ask you to speak about the legislation Okay. to give us just a little bit of hope about how things might shift. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) hope is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's the best (laughs) four-letter word. (laughs) So when Tony was 20 um, and and this happened to him, and I got a phone call from, from the jail where he was, I had missed the phone call, unfortunately, and when I called up the jail, the person who gave me the information was almost um, said, oh, yeah, he's been picked up for uh, for murder, which saying that to me, it, it was like I was I had just been transported to another place. Mm. I, I had I didn't believe them. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I literally just started screaming. Wow. I and my husband. Uh, went out in the backyard and I I looked at him sitting at the picnic bench and, and I and I thought you'll never see me again mm. you you've just lost your joyful wife you mm. know and and so from that moment I have lived every second and we're very very close my son are very very mm. we're we are very close we talk about everything every nothing is a secret mm-hmm so when he went to county, my first thought was, I've got to, I've got to get God to him because we mm. were very strong Christian. And so I called up the county chaplain, and they gave it to one of the chaplains. And he went uh, to—it was one of the worst county jails in the nation oh, wow. is where he was. And uh, this chaplain went in, and they started doing— the first interracial Bible study wow. that they've ever had. And uh, God got him through that. God got us through that. Mm-hmm. Prison was a completely, it was a whole new beast. And uh, I had written a letter saying, please, uh, you know, have him close to us so we mm-hmm. don't have to travel. Mm. Uh, and of course, they put him on the exact opposite end of California. So wow. we literally had to travel the, the first place we had to to take a flight and then rent a car and travel two and a half hours and stay overnight to visit him. This was done every other weekend. So the worst thing is that you're pushing yourself every single moment from when you wake up in the morning to go, I refuse to stand down. And so you're trying to encourage yourself through this. So when you get a phone call, and we we talk to each other every day, or we try to every day in this or lockdown or something. So if he's having a bad day, I'll try and encourage him. Some days you can encourage each other and some days yeah. you just can't. Yeah. But he has gone from this hopeful young man who was writing sermons and leading Bible study to 
it's hopeless, Mom. Mm. There's, it's hopeless. I'm going to die in here. And, of course, everybody inside tells you that you're going to die in there. Nobody gets out who has life without parole. The whole system is put together to break you. Yeah. It really is That's to right. break your spirit. You've got the entire system telling you you're never going home. And Annie says, you know, it's why do you go to programs if there's mm-hmm. no hope of ever coming out? Programs for what? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, to for what? Right. To make you, what, a better prisoner? Mm-hmm. Or to... Why? Yeah. And I can't answer that question for him. Yeah. All I can do is say because God has a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. And that comes out very cliche, mm. even though I feel it in my heart. Yeah. And he receives it knowing that. Yeah. He knows that. Yeah. But man, it's, it is spirit sucking. Yeah. Uh, despair. Yeah. And uh, I admire every single person who survives prison from the minimum security to the maximum security, they have my admiration. Any loved one, anybody who's listening, who is holding it with their loved one, Mm. I so respect and admire you because really that's all we can do Mm -hmm. is hold it with them and be their feet Mm -hmm. and try to get it changed. Yeah. I'm so glad you two have each other. I'm also like struck by your intention and ability to be so present with him, you know, both like emotionally that you haven't let it suck your spirit either. And also the access you have to, I have no doubt that it is draining your bank account and any savings you probably have. (laughs) And I'm thinking about like so many folks who we know inside who never get family visits, yes. you know, whose families are poor or disenfranchised, like yes. who don't get who even get... phone calls and how much of a lifeline it is to have even just one person on the outside who's making yeah. that regular contact with you. Hope is like standing on the edge of a cliff for an hour. As we hope that we have an opportunity and the tools and the knowledge that we need. Um, We hope that we have uh, a chance to go home. We hope that we have family support. We hope that we have uh, friends that will encourage us and lift us up during this time. But if we don't have those tools as we're standing on that edge of the cliff, the tools are a parachute. And if it's not stable, if it's not consistent, if it's not from a place of loving, we can crash and burn. And as we hold on to that little bit of hope, whether it is our project here now in this moment, fighting for LWOPs for the first time, or it's a, um, a judge hearing our cases, whatever that may be, all we have. As a lifer, they have many opportunities. Some scary, uh, some realistic, mostly going through the border prison hearings, but we don't have that. We don't have anything but this moment and people holding us up and a whole lot of hope that something will change. There's some recent legislation 
that is potentially going to impact felony murder rule. Will you tell us about it? So it's SB 1437. It deals with the accomplice liability, where if you were um, not the perpetrator of the death, but if you aided and abetted the underlying felony, you weren't convicted of special circumstances, the 190.2. This bill, if it's passed, will give the opportunity for the aider and abetter who was convicted under felony murder to come back and be resentenced. Mm, It is a retroactive bill. Uh And the reason that it does not include the special circumstances or life without parole is because you can change Penal Code 189 by a simple majority vote in the legislature. So you have to win by one, literally. Otherwise, if if it included the special circumstances, the vote would have to be a two-thirds vote. So you would have to have Mm two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the Assembly voting yes, which mm-hmm. is extremely hard in this yeah. political climate to do. Yeah. So it helps folks who are sentenced under the felony murder rule and received a life sentence. Yes. But it does not help folks who were sentenced under the felony murder rule and received life without parole. That's right. Because anybody who has life without parole under felony murder, you automatically know that they were given special circumstances Correct. because that's yeah. the only sentence you could have gotten. How can folks get in touch with you if they want to work with you or know more? They can uh, email me at felonymurderproject at yahoo.com, or they can go to the website, which is www.endfmr, which is just short for felony murder rule, now.org. So it's www.endfmrnow.org. What does it feel like to be lobbying so hard for a bill that is not going to bring Tony home? So it, it was devastating mm-hmm. because of all the, the, of how hard this is. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating to me to have to talk to, because a lot of our members have loved ones who are serving LWAP. That's right. And it just, it broke my heart. I didn't know how to say we can't do it. And, yeah. and everybody was waiting yes, for this. Yes, they were. And I, I know about the broken hearts. Yeah. The next step, nobody is letting this lie. We're already working on how to do LWAP as soon as this is passed. Mm-hmm. So it is a process. Yeah. It's a mountain. Yeah. And we were told no, and it's being chipped away. And that is that four-letter hope. Yes. And just never take the no. I want to thank all the people inside who are doing all of the hard work to stand in the hope and to, they're working just as hard as we are to get this changed. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for not letting shame stop your voices. I want to thank you for standing up and saying, wait a minute, this happened to me. This could happen to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank our legislators who are taking a risk of stepping outside and going, wait a minute, this is not right. Yeah. Thank you, Joanne. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate so much the education 
I wish you didn't have to get this education yeah. by way of your son's incarceration. And I appreciate the way that you have used that education to educate more folks. And I really honor your tenacity and your love for Tony. Thank you very much, Adrian. Yeah. 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 We want to say thank you so much to Joanne Shear and the Felony Murder Rule Elimination Project, everyone inside and out of prison who lobbied and fought so hard to get this legislation passed. And we want to especially thank our members inside who contributed to this episode, Buali, Toya, Kat, Lynn, Siana, and Amy. We have two more episodes. Next up is a look at the racialized violence of life without parole and then looking at the organizing happening against these death sentences. To get more involved, check out womenprisoners.org, dropllwap.wordpress.com, and alivingchance.com. <laughs>